Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with former TSN radio host Steve Warren and the coach Greg Kennedy. When you go through a month like we did in November, um, you're going to concentrate on the positives. There's been so much negativity following our team and, and everything that's going on that we're going to concentrate on the positives here in December. We've done some really good things. Guys are playing hard for each other. It was an exciting game tonight, and, uh, and we're not going to critique a win. Focusing on the positive, that's a great idea. That's DJ Smith talking this week about a couple of victories. That's got to be nice. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. It is the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy, coming up today. Is Eugene Melnick taking offers to buy the Ottawa Senators? Is an arena at LeBreton Flats still in the cards? Pierre Dorian finally speaks. Kind of interesting timing right after the victory, finally. It's all still ahead here on the Sens Nation podcast. Uh, Greg, how are things with you today? Things are good, Stephen. We've had a, a, a one-goal loss and a one-goal win. It was a nice weekend here. We finally found a number one line. We scored 13 goals this weekend, Steve, and all 13 goals came from that one line. <laughs> so. Well, it seems to be working then. It's an eggs in one basket kind of a deal, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll keep we'll keep those three together, I think. <laughs> yeah, probably a good plan for sure. Um, well, that's good. Uh, good luck to uh, the Slave Lake Ice Dogs out in uh, Slave Lake, Alberta with uh, their upcoming stretch of games. But we should launch into what the Sens have done, particularly since the last time we got together. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, they are back in the win column. Nichuskin leaves it for McKinnon. Across Brady Kachuk got there, and now he's off to the races. Brady Kachuk breakaway shoots, scores. Brady Kachuk. So a very AJ Jakubek like call from Hanurai and Singh on Sportsnet with the call there. So again, that's courtesy of Sportsnet holding the holding the tone on Brady Kachuk. <laughs> First down, Red Blacks. Anyway, um, it was certainly a great evening for Sens fans. I mean, really, there haven't been many nights like that uh, at uh, at the CTC to see the home team beat a very good team in thrilling fashion. The captain with the final dagger in OT that you heard there. So a fun hockey game, certainly some concerns, but I think you uh, look at those two victories this past week and you say, I'll take that all day long for your Sens fan. Oh yeah, like hey, it's about time, you know. And and really, it was everybody showed up. Uh, I thought anyway. I thought here was two games in a row where everybody played uh, played pretty damn well. You know, you really didn't have anybody stick out as oops, bad game from so and so, or a, a, a serious mistakes made here or there. They just they looked much more in control, much more. We're going to say the word, but there seemed to be some structure to their game, and and they were successful. It was nice. It was it was great, like wonderful. Two wins in a row. Can't beat it. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's uh, get into some of the details about the game. Um, first of all, it was nice to see Brady Kachuk with a couple of goals. and uh, But more than that, Tim Stutzla getting on the score sheet. He ends up with not one but two goals in the game. And really, if this team is to have any level of success, just to be able to score enough goals – They've got to get guys like that going because, you know, the Connor Browns of the world aren't doing what they did last year, for example. So you've got to, that first line played great, but you've got to come up with some level of secondary scoring. Yeah, and and really, who cares how? 
Like it's just, can you score goals? The first one from Stutzla against Colorado was rather interesting. I, I, I still not quite clear on exactly why that's considered a goal, but who cares? It's a goal. Uh, his second goal was a was just a thing of beauty there. A little bit of patience, patience. It reminded me of a there was a Batherson goal scored that way in tight in front of the net where he just kind of waited and waited. But this was a slightly different as he as it was a shot, man, nice shot. And, and welcome to the NHL kid in net there for the Avalanche. Yeah, it didn't look like there was a net to score on on his first one, and that <laughs> yeah. snapped a two two draw. It was basically one of those yard sale plays. Stutzla goes into the net, the, the Colorado defender, um, the goalie, everybody's in there. And uh, the puck, I mean, the puck clearly crossed the line, but there wasn't really a net there for it to enter. So it was, uh, yeah, I was 50-50 on that one. I wasn't sure what that call was going to be, but it stood and uh, it turned out they needed it. Uh, they got it to 5-2 to two, and then Colorado marches back. It's the second game in a row. They get the win. But it's one of those ones where, as a coach, you're going, like DJ Smith said off the top, you just take the positive, no room for description on the score sheet because, I mean, the first game, they gave up 49 shots. In the second game, they gave up five goals. And in both games, they blow multi-goal leads. So, again, you take it. Um, but is is that a thing? Like when a team is fragile, that, that word gets thrown around a little bit. But that they can't lock down a lead. They had a 2 nothing lead against Carolina, and uh, Carolina got back into it. A 5-2 lead against Colorado. The Avalanche tied it not once, but twice. The first tying goal with about two minutes left was disallowed because of uh, offside challenge, and uh, they eventually did tie it at five, and then Ottawa finished it off. But locking it down, is there an art to that, and is it harder for teams that are kind of in that fragile mode? Well, exactly. You're you you have not won. It's not that they need to. What is the expression? Learn how to win. I mean, they know how to win. They know how to do what's required to to quote unquote lock it down. But it's been a while, right? And let's not forget, these are two top five teams. Like it's not like you were playing Arizona and you got up by two and you could maybe cruise control your way to a win. That the last five minutes or so of the second period, my God, Avalanche were all over them. Like this is a team with some pride. This is a team that believes they're a they're a Stanley Cup contender, and they are. And so is Carolina, two clubs that are at the top of the standings for a reason. And they're not going to roll over. They 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 got a bit of a wake up call and a jolt there when you're down by two. And no doubt there's a part of them that maybe took the game or the Senators a little too lightly. And uh, they just sort of wake up and say, "Okay, it's time for us to start playing here, fellows." And and they're going to come back. You you almost well, you pretty much expect it. You know what's going to happen from a coaching staff perspective, from a player perspective. You're telling everybody, "Hey, guys, like this isn't over yet. We still got some work to do." When you talk about guys that you want to see get on the score sheet more frequently, Alex Formanton is another one. He had two goals in the Carolina game, and uh, isn't it great to see him using his speed? That's, I mean, if if he could just finish a little more because that speed consistently generates opportunity, but uh, I'm starting to wonder if if he's ever going to establish that level of finish. It certainly showed up in the Carolina game. It was kind of a, same as the Stutzla goal we just talked about, a yard sale deal, everybody into the net on one of the goals, but certainly one was all speed and an absolute beauty. Yeah, I don't think no one's ever going to confuse him for a uh, sniper. He's, he is not a goal scorer. He, he may top out at, at 15 someday in the NHL for a season. Um, but you're you're right. His speed, he's on this team due to that speed. That speed contributes to the PK. 
that that speed helps on the four check. If he played up the lineup with with a with a couple of finishers or a, a playmaker center and a finisher on the other side, he may pick up a few more apples here and there. But I'm not sure that he's ever going to be confused as a goal scorer. But you, you mentioned the one goal that he did score, the second goal. Carolina put it in their own net. Same with the third goal, right? It was two in a row that Carolina put in their own net. And uh, as DJ said, uh, there's no pictures. We'll just we'll we'll concentrate on the positive. The positive is we scored some goals. Yeah, I honestly. I would do exactly what he's doing right now, and that's accentuating the positive, spending no time at all about how the win happened. But you, you can't help, as a fan, ignore that. You can't, you can't help no. but You have to look at that and say, okay, has this team really turned a corner? Or uh, the law of averages, you know, the, everybody gets a, a few bad wins, a few good wins, um, ones they don't deserve ones they do deserve. I mean, that to me, the last couple of games, honestly, there's, I don't look at that and say, okay, maybe they've turned a corner here. I I, I just, I would like to say that, but I can't say that just yet. How about you? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that they have Steve, mainly because as I said earlier, these are two top five teams and they showed up and played hard and, and got good results from that effort. Um, their next couple games now, okay, can we carry that forward? Can Is this going to build for us? Is there some confidence here? Let's not forget, they're, they're still fairly close in the rearview mirror to having their little COVID scare. So everybody took a little bit of time to get back and get healthy and get ready and get going again. And and here's the result. Hopefully, this is the now the, the consistent result moving forward. And I'm not saying consistently they're going to win games, but I'm saying this is the kind of effort that I think we can expect now moving forward. And I also think another point here, and we'll, we'll get to it later, I think that Matt Murray not being around maybe has an effect on the players as well. You know, whether whether it's talked about in the room or discussed or not, you know that individually it, it probably dwells on some people. Like you you look at this guy struggling so hard every night and and, and it's it's almost a downer when he's in, I'm sure, for some of the players. And now that he's gone and out of the room and, and – maybe it was a distraction maybe it wasn't from a team perspective but I bet individually it was a distraction to at least some of those players and that's been removed taken off their plate yeah and the record says what the record says since Matt Murray has been sent down to Belleville it's uh it's a team that's winning again so um whether those th- are, those things are directly related it's it's hard to know for sure but I certainly see your point so on the goaltending front who exactly right now is the number one. Is it win and you're in? Because Anton Forsberg has just reeled off two straight. Yeah, not necessarily win and you're in, but play well and you'll stay. Um, and, and Forsberg certainly did look good. Uh, Gus in his last game didn't look as good as uh, as you would have liked. Um, so so maybe he isn't quite ready to be anointed number one and take off and be the big guy, but uh, Forsberg has certainly stepped up. Uh, it gave up more than a few goals there against Colorado that you wouldn't like to see that kind of number every night. But yeah. has been the guy and has played well. And if you play well, you'll you'll I, I I would if I were there, if I were DJ, you play well, you'll stay in the net until until such time as you don't play well. It certainly looked like a couple of those shots from the point. I think there were three in all. Take away the one that was disallowed because of offside. Mm-hmm. There were three from the point that looked like it was a pretty clear lane to the net, which mm-hmm. was a little concerning to me. I think you can't really say for sure unless you've unless you're behind that mask and see the actual sight lines. I thought, I thought for sure 
that first or the second goal, I should say, it looked like it was a clear lane. And and yet you're going, well, how did that not go? And then all of a sudden you see Connor Brown just kind of shimmy through the uh, mm-hmm. the lane for just a second. You never really know if the goalie's eyes are on the puck for sure or not. But it looked to me like there were some really clean lanes um, with shots from the point that maybe Forsberg struggled a little bit. Yeah, well, well, two of them were carbon. It, it was a carbon copy, absolute replay. Yeah. I mean, one was on the power play. The other one wasn't. But the two goals by Taves, just a little give it off, get set, get it back, one tee. And they weren't like like cross ice one tee. It basically went from a side lane to mid lane. So you didn't have to move all that far either. And, and both were pretty much bang on straight, straight for the middle of the point. So you, you've got a point and, and who knows what he could see or couldn't see, but you'd like to think, okay, I can see the pass coming over the shots coming, whether I'm screened or not. I know the shots coming from the middle of the blue line. I should be ready for it. Even if it's, even if you do lose sight of it for a split second. What'd you think of the winning goal by Brady Kachuk? We played that clip just a moment ago. Um, Looked to me like a pretty sloppy play by Nathan McKinnon, and yep. Kachuk cashed in on that thing. Yeah, it kind of uh, out of character. I thought he tried to force a pass. I couldn't tell. I looked at it a couple times. Was he trying to hit the guy in the middle, or was he trying to go all the way across the other guy? Either way, it probably was not a good decision. Well, we know it wasn't a good decision. Forcing a pass there into traffic, cross ice, through people, uh, and uh, you got the result you got. You know, a little bounce off of somebody and bank off the wall, and Brady's gone. Nice finish, though. That was that was the best part. I, I'm surprised he went glove side. I figured he was going low blocker, but uh, nice shot, good finish, nice celebration. He was very happy, and so was the whole team. It was wonderful, just wonderful. We can all breathe easier for a couple days yeah. anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And and it actually was Brady Kachuk with a, a nice stick. You basically, and, you, and, you, and that's something you preach all the time in the D-zone coverage, even in a three-on-three scenario, obviously. Get your sticks in passing lanes. And that's what Kachuk did. And he, w- he was coming back hard on the play. And so he got his stick in the lane and it kind of healed off his stick blade in a perfect way, went right back the other way, quick cut up ice. And and he was off to the races because everybody on Colorado at that stage, well, one of the best players in the game has the puck right now. Something good's going to happen. We'll get ourselves open. And he made a risky pass. Instead, Kachuk got his stick on it and he was off to the races. So that was great to see. And because, uh, I mean, even though Brady Kachuk brings so many variables, you, you want to see that offense too. You're giving him first line minutes um, and you like to see him continue to be really good offensively. And as this team was slumping, well, everybody was kind of slumping and, uh, and we talk about the team wanting these types of wins to feel good about themselves. We've just talked about Kachuk and Stutzla and Formanton, it's really important from an individual standpoint mm-hmm. that they feel good about their individual games as well. Well, in Brady's case, it's it, okay. The the goal scoring, the point production was maybe slumping, but the work ethic didn't slump. The contact, the hits didn't slump. The shot blocking, the character, the leadership, all the other things he brings to the table did not slump. They were all evident through the whole thing, uh, and eventually the points were going to come. It was and and the, to your point about the stick on the ice, I tell you, we use the expression all the time with players: you, your sticks on the ice, the defensive zone. You will never accidentally intercept a pass if your stick's in the air, and his sticks on the ice in a passing lane, as you said, and it was beautiful. But yeah, uh, to, to your to your bigger point, uh, Brady's numbers were down offensively, goals and assists, but the rest of his numbers were just fine, and it was only a matter of time. Yeah, and you know what? As we speak, 
I had this idea, like just like you did just now, in, that the points were down. They're not that bad, actually. I mean, he had, uh, he had a three-point night in the Colorado game. He had, and I was 16 points in 19 games. The stat that does grab me right now, so I, my point is offensively, you can't complain about that with, well, really anybody. Yeah. Uh, the stat, though, that's of interest is 52 penalty minutes in 19 games. You're mm-hmm. the captain of this team. You're a first-line player. They need you on the ice. Does DJ Smith want Brady Kachuk to tone it down a little bit from the penalty minute standpoint without giving away you know, the physical side of things? I guess it, it depends. You'd have to almost go back and look at all of them individually, case by case. How many of them were frustration? Like how many of his little fights and tussles were out of frustration? And how many were out of doing the right thing in the right scenario? And I'm, yes, sometimes taking a penalty is the right thing. So how many of them were, what was the motivating factor for those, for the 52 minutes worth? Like last night, he he, he kind of got lucky in, in a sense. He did drop the gloves. He was ready to go. So you could have easily had an extra five minutes added on for a season if the, if the line he hadn't stepped in and, and separated them. But I think you'd have to figure out, you know, why are you getting these penalty minutes? Why are your numbers up? And then sort of individually look at them. And, and certainly the team would do that. Video coach could pull out every penalty he's taken all year and, and figure that out and sit down and have a chat with him. It's a fine balance when you think about it because yeah. you don't want that guy to back down from anybody. But at the same time, you don't want the Brendan Lemuse of the game to be easily able to goad you into something. Right now, it's not the end of the world. This is the last place team in the NHL. But when the Sens get good someday... Uh, and and Brady's going to take on all comers, no matter who you are, that's going to be problematic and something I think DJ Smith or whoever the coach of this team is is going to have to address with him. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> when the Sens get good someday. Let's let's clip that and keep it. I like that. When the Sens get good someday. Yeah, well, Pierre, uh, Pierre thinks they're good right now. Sure does. Yeah, let's move into that right now. Pierre Dorian with an impromptu news conference. He kind of rolled into the thing kind of free-spirited, a little out of breath, chit-chatting with the media. So how's everybody doing? What's going on? Is anything, everybody having a good, everybody getting ready for Christmas? Hey, good morning. How's everyone today? Perfect. Beautiful snow, you know? Yeah, I know. The weather's beautiful. Though I just felt, um, I was just talking with Chris, and uh, probably at the quarter mark, it was a good idea that I addressed how the team is doing, uh, where we are. Uh, answer any questions that anyone has. So obviously, uh, winning five games out of 21 is not exactly where we want it to be. Uh, It's not what we foresaw, especially after the way we finished last year. Uh, To me, the biggest thing is we got to get this team back on its winning ways. We have made a few drastic decisions. Um, but we feel this team is going to get back to playing to the hockey that it's capable of playing. So I guess that's what you kind of have to do, what you have to say, but I'm not sure that the average fan is uh, is feeling that just yet. <laughs> these two games, these two wins have been great, but it does seem like a little bit, uh, I don't know, rose-colored glasses thinking. Well, I'm, uh, the first thing I thought, it drastic jumped out at me, the word drastic, and again, I'm thinking, okay, it's not exactly Pierre's first language, so I don't think I think if he went back and had to say it do it over again I don't think he'd say that they made drastic changes that's a strong word uh and really 
what changes other than Matt Murray have they made? Like really the only change that's been serious. I mean, maybe you could say they called up Lassie Thompson and he seems to be staying here, but I wouldn't call that drastic either. The only thing that might be bordering on drastic was setting Matt Murray down. And if we stop and think about it, well, it wasn't all that drastic. It was the freaking logical thing to do. You clowns. So he, you know, he finally did it. So I, I don't know that he'd like that term as far as the team getting back to the hockey that it's capable of playing. Well, that's a nice statement, but, what exactly do you think that they're capable of playing, right? We've never actually been told what the projection is. Is it a playoff team? Is it a contention for a playoff team? Is it a floundering around the bottom of the league again team? So we don't really know what he thinks they're capable of playing, what level they're capable of playing to. So it's easy to say, yeah, we'll, we'll get them back to that level and everything will be good. Well, what is that level? Yeah, yeah. It hasn't really – they've obviously got this ideal – in their minds of what they could be or could have been this year, where they're capable of being. And, uh, well, I think even the most negative sense fan would say that, well, they're well beyond that. They're, they, they just, uh, or they're, they're well shy of that, I should say. Mm-hmm. So it, it's tricky to your point about drastic though. Um, I would say Matt Murray thinks it's drastic. You know, the, the decision to send oh, he him thinks down is drastic. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, when you're in the, you know, we're looking at things outside with not a lot of emotion, not knowing the individual. This could probably feels pretty drastic to Pierre Dorian, knowing the guy and uh, and well, knowing the. No, I, I I I agree with you on that one. It was the fact that he said a few or a couple or yeah. some drastic moves moves, and I'm thinking, well, I don't know that with anything else. That yes, that one was drastic, but. Nothing else had been all that drastic. I wish they'd been more drastic. I wish there'd been some drastic moves beyond Matt right. Murray. Well, that's been one of the complaints, right? Because yeah. uh, there was supposed to be a top four D in the mix and a top six centerman, and that never happened. So it was kind of drastic to instead go for a second straight year with basically other teams' waiver-ish cast-offs, uh, teams that, you know, the players that um, – that you, the same kind of players you brought in last year that were kind of near the end. You did it again this year just with new faces. So I guess there's some level of drastic to that because I feel like they saw, okay, we got to pay Brady Kachuk. We got to pay Batherson. So suddenly the idea of doing all that and bringing in elite talent that can play in your, you know, play your big minutes and important minutes. Um, suddenly that doesn't look so rosy anymore so i think they did an about face on what they had intended to do at the start of the summer okay so say that yeah you know I'd I, agree. You, you're not divulging any state secrets by saying yeah you know we we wanted to like i would have loved to have had pierre address that exact issue you know uh several months ago your owner said you were going to get a top 4d and you were going to get a, a number one or number two center it didn't happen please uh, give me some sort of an explanation of that. I would like to have heard that. I would like to have heard the question, let alone the answer. So one of the other quotes was, the buck stops with me. This is Dorian again. I'm not afraid to say it. We didn't anticipate any of this, and we're going to battle through it. Last year, we had a tough stretch. We battled through it then and finished strong. The finishing strong thing, I think it left people hopeful. I'm of two minds on it in terms of the mechanics of that. On the one hand, it doesn't mean anything to the Ottawa Senators to have this great final month. They didn't have any pressure at that stage. They weren't getting anywhere near the playoffs. They'd been out of the playoffs for a long time, so you can play free and easy. But the other side of that coin, because it is a double-edged sword, 
everybody they were playing, most of them, were fighting for, you know, playoff position. Not everybody necessarily, but a good chunk of them. There was a lot of teams that was really important to them, and they yet they were able to to win a lot of those hockey games. So was that fool's gold in the final month or not? Well, I think that... It, it, Take aside the results, okay? Don't don't. I know this is difficult, but don't look at the record. Look at their performance on the ice. Look at how they played as a team. Look at how the identity that we'd been waiting for and we'd talked about all season long, the two of us here, finally consistently showed up every night. And whoa, wow! Look, now we see what type of team they are, and they brought that every night. We talk about this a lot with with teams, right? Forget the result. Let's just do what we do do it well, do it to the best of our ability, and we'll take whatever result we get. Well, they got to a point where what they did well was get pucks deep, forecheck hard, track back well, uh, some structure in the D zone. And they did that well for the last month and a half or 12 games or whatever it was. And uh, bonus, they got some good results out of it. So from that sense, yes, it's it, it's a good thing. And it's something that, yes, should be carried forward. And we should have seen it to start this season, and we didn't. But as far as the results and the wins and the does that mean they're going to be eleven and one to open the season? No, that would should not that would be a completely unrealistic expectation. But the disappointing part was everything that they'd worked on that they brought to the rink every night for that last stretch last year seemed to have dissipated over the course of the summer. And with a full training camp, they still couldn't rekindle it and start the year with that structure in place, with that game plan in place, with that performance, with that identity. It just wasn't there to start the year. Yeah, and one of the things I was hopeful from from that performance was at the very least you're learning to win. Your young guys are, are getting the confidence knowing that they don't just belong, but if they play their game structure-wise and lay out and, and, and play hard like DJ Smith always preaches, that they can win on any given night. And that just seemed to evaporate over the summertime, unfortunately. One of the other quotes that Dorian said, was in regards to the rebuild is over reference. Somebody asked him directly about that, and uh, clearly he'd like a do-over on that one. Dorian said, probably what I should have said is pretty much all the core pieces of the rebuild are in the organization. I guess I can buy into that. I think we've cut some slack in the past yeah, um, on, on various levels, whether it's a coach after the game, whether you know English isn't your first language. Um, it is a bit of pressure when you're behind a microphone, you're asked questions. Sometimes things come out the wrong way and uh, you say things that maybe you realize as you reflect on it an hour after the news conference, oh, that didn't come out the way I wanted it. We talked about it with the DJ Smith thing about, yeah. oh, if you're a true fan, you got to stick with your guys. And people said, oh, you don't tell me how to fan. And so where are you at on that with uh, the explanation that Dorian That's gave for the rebuild? It's exactly what we we expected. It's exactly what we thought all along. If you look at it, the rebuild was the get rid of these guys, bring in new guys. That is done. It is done. What's still to be done here is now build, <laughs> right? Build on the rebuild. You've got all these pieces in place. You've, you've got a coaching staff locked up for a contract. You've got the GM locked in for a contract. You've got all these pieces. He said maybe one or two but are, are, are playing, you know, like, okay, you got to add Sanderson, you got to add Clevin, you got to add Ridley Gregg, but all the, all, they're all there. The picks have been used. The players have been selected. The, the, you can sit there and project out a roster for four or five years from now. So the rebuild is done. It's the build now. 
How do we position these players? Who plays where? Which players are not going to be here? Which players are we going to use to bring in other pieces? That's building from here to building a playoff team to building a championship team, the next two steps. Yeah, if you're if you're to compare it to building a house, right? Pierre Dorian, the way he presented it, it made it sound like we were all sitting in a warm, comfy house and having our feet up and and uh, and, and watching TV. And it's the rebuilds done that way. It's not. It wasn't that he's he puts it. I think it. I mean, if you're complaining about what he had to say about there, I think you're really getting into a nitpicking place. I I, I buy into that actually. You know that pretty much all the core pieces of the rebuild are now in the organization. So what he is saying is. Um, all the pieces have been acquired. Um, now, some of the pieces may still be out in the driveway in the truck. You gotta, you know, you gotta finish uh, some other things around the house here. But well, I yeah. like this. Anyway, I think that's pushing the housing analogy a little too far. No, now, no, though. I like it. <laughs> Yo, you're absolutely anyway. right, though, right? Like you've got all the pieces. You just yep. haven't quite. You know, you can, it's a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, and seventy five pieces are still in the box. And some of them are injured right now. Some of them have to be repaired. If we continue along with the analogy, you've got Shane Pinto um, and Pierre Dorian gave us an update on some of the injured guys. Three of the four that are injured right now, I think, are part of the long-term solution. Shane Pinto, Eric Brandstrom, Colin White. Not sure about White and Brandstrom. And Josh Brown, I think, is a nice piece for now um, or a piece for now. Shane Pinto, according to Dorian, had surgery after dislocating his shoulder and hope is he's going to play sometime in April if he does return at all this season. The quote was, there's a chance he's going to play before the end of the year. We're going to do what's right. It's a four- to six-month injury, but it can vary on how the body's healing, the strength in the shoulder, and the range of motion. Here's how I'd play things with Shane Pinto based on how uh, how things went the last time when he came back in the same game and then came back eight games later. Whatever Shane Pinto and the doctors think, like this is some DJ Smith or Pierre Dorian, this is how I handle it, if they declare he's ready to go, I'm waiting yeah. another month beyond that, which which means we're probably going to see him next fall. Which isn't a bad thing. Like, that's fine. That's fine. I found it interesting. You just said, <laughs> we should back up the tape, but you said that part of the long-term plan, and then you kind of backtracked on that, that maybe Brandstrom and White and some of them aren't part of the long-term plan. They are, Steve. They're part of the long-term plan as far as being pieces that we can move out to get something else. So, so they right. are st- they are all still part of the plan. Even even a Josh Brown, uh, I know Pierre said in the in the press in his press conference there that we're 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 finally at a place now where we don't have to move out pending UFAs for draft picks. Josh Brown's a guy you might want to move out for a draft pick at at, uh, at the end of the year, the trade deadline. I, I think Brandstrom's a guy who could be moved out, but I I would think the price the request back is a little higher than a than a draft pick and same thing with Colin white, uh, whether he's a buyout option or something, these guys are still, uh, they're still here. And uh, Pierre did make a point about discussing the four centers that played during the hot stretch last year, down the stretch in his, his centerman core was Norris Pinto Tierney and white. And when those four guys were actually able to play to open the season, they, we, the team was two and one or something with those four guys playing center. So, you know, maybe there is a spot for Colin White in a in a 3C, 4C role here. Who knows? White's deal is he'll probably, it sounds a little like Shane Pinto. He injured his shoulder in the preseason, and Dorian said he hoped White would be able to play sometime in March. So he'd probably resume skating in February, and that would be when the Sens were uh, on the break for the Olympics, maybe a couple of them playing at the Olympics. And uh, Josh Brown is probably going to play in January, as is Eric Brandstrom. 
Randstrom has that broken hand. He's going to skate with the team. He's going to start sometime during the Christmas break or after it, I should say. And uh, if that goes well, he'll play in January. If you had to choose between Brandstrom and Thompson right now, where are you at? Oh, I'm Thompson. I'm fully a Lassie fan now. Like, uh, he he came up and really, I think you said it last week, kind of out of the blue. <laughs> like, nobody expected this. If he was going to come up at all, you would have thought, okay, maybe later in the year. Uh, and really, it's an emergency situation. He comes up, he plays really well. He plays so well that that when they were into their COVID break, they didn't send him down. Uh, he stayed here. And uh, and, and even your boy uh, Hetherington that you talked about last week didn't look out of place, didn't look terrible last night. The two of them played together. Hey, that's a nice little 5-6 pair, isn't it? It's yep. uh, it's better than any 5-6 pair they've had all year. The problem being, of course, that you've also got Holden in the lineup. You've got other 5-6 guys not playing in a 5-6 role. Yeah, he looks like he's got kind of that heavier adult hockey body, which has been unfortunately lacking on that blue line. I'm talking about Hetherington now. Yeah. Um, and and I've, I've liked his addition. I, I think that, uh, yeah, he might be able to stay for a little while. I'm, I'm curious to see because he's not he's not ever going to do much for you offensively, but he is playing the kind of game I kind of sort of hoping Josh Brown would play uh, yeah. or Nick Holden. I feel like uh, this guy's a it's it's early. It's a small sample size, but he seems to be adept with the puck. Nothing special. Just move it. And defensively, he just seems really aggressive and uh, and and really hustles and and isn't afraid to lay the body on guys. So yeah, I've I've uh, I complained mm-hmm. in the last episode. Okay, that he- well, let's have a look at Hetherington. I didn't mind him, and sure enough, he got called up and he looked pretty good. So so far, so good. Now I missed um, it. What was the reason last night for? Were they all health bombs in Mete? Um, I know Brown's injured, but no Mete and no um, uh, Delzado. Were they health scratch, healthy scratches? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, 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 that's okay. So some things are starting to change in that perspective anyway. Well, I think I think for both Thompson and Hetherington, opportunities knocking loudly. Now, I've been a fan of Thompson, but oh boy, that new hook goal, <laughs> that, that was not great. That was the kind of... You can run one-on-one drills in practice and uh, in, at the NHL level, and uh, maybe once in the entire practice, one guy gets walked. Uh, that was just Newhook coming through the offensive zone. Connor Brown didn't do Thompson any favors. Brown's the one that coughed it up and then made a really bad effort to kind of help corral things. Anyway, Newhook is coming through the uh, neutral zone with great speed, and he just walks Lassie Thompson and goes in and scores on Forsberg. So that was the first, I mean, there's some glitchy moments that any young player has, but that was the first real, in my opinion, real major gaffe that I've seen from Lassie Thompson. True. I, I, th- I mean, Gary Galley did a real good job of breaking it down. You saw Thompson move the stick from mid over to his right, and whoop, You just the gate just swung open, and the kid's going to pull it across your body and go to the opposite side and protect the puck, and he's he walked into the net. I mean, it happens, right, with speed, and when it happens quickly on transition and bang, you get beat, maybe you're you're not set the way you want to be set. It, it's going to happen. Hey, so okay, he's had a lot less of those, a lot less of those. Oh my God, what happened there? Um, that compared to Zaitsev or or compared to to Holden or Delzato even this year, he's so uh, I'm okay with it. The kids allowed to a couple here and there, right? 
All right, let's change gears and talk a little bit about an interesting blurb in the Vancouver Province newspaper. It was from writer Patrick Johnson. It was part of a much longer, very Vancouver Canucks-based article, and it just sort of slid in it there at the bottom a little bit about the Ottawa Senators, a couple of paragraphs. And the last paragraph was, anyway, it's, it was interesting to hear Eugene Melnick's entertaining offers for the Senators, and obviously a potential sale could complicate any management or coaching changes this year. Okay, let's leave aside management or coaching changes. Eugene Melnick is entertaining offers for the Senators, <laughs> and he clarified that it came from sources that he trusts. So I think that uh, the Eugene Melnick or the Melnick out crowd was probably pretty excited to read that. What was your impression, your reaction to seeing that? Yeah, my my first thought was exactly what. Uh, who was it that we that I where did I find it? I don't know. I don't know. Where did I? Oh, it was Roman a day. I think that's where I got it. Graham Nichols. That's how I found yep. it. Um, and he, Graham was the one who specifically asked the question, like, okay, who are these sources? And that's where he got the answer back. Sources I trust. My first thought, well, that was my first thought was, okay, fine. But who's saying this? Where's this really coming from? And wow. Okay. Sources you trust? Team for sale? I'm in. Sign me up. I'll, I'll contribute to that. Where's the new, new seller needs a couple extra bucks? I'll help him. Yeah. The, the the question I would immediately have is why now, I wonder. Mm. Uh what's the what's the impetus to this? Uh, is it a I'll, um, I'll tell you what it is. There's no more uh expansion on the horizon. He got his mm-hmm. money out of uh Vegas. He got and he got his money out of Seattle and there's no other expansion on the horizon. He, he he knows that nothing can happen as far as making a big jump in revenue. Nothing's going to happen until there's a new rink and he can't find anybody to to cozy up to to help him build that rink and pissed off the only guys who were willing to help him. So there's no chance for a future revenue stream there. Um, so yeah, this it makes sense from to me, it makes sense from that financial standpoint, from a revenue standpoint at this point in time, it makes sense to be to be looking to sell. What do you think? Yeah, and they're not exactly filling the rink these days either due yeah. to the COVID factor, due to the team being in last place. And I'm sure some fans are still in the mode of Melnick out, right? There's still some fans who adore, worship the team, like the players, but they just don't want to invest in something that Eugene Melnick is going to benefit from. That's just the level of disconnect that exists between ownership and some of the fan base. I don't think there's any question about that. And I wonder if health may be in there as well. You always have to have that in the True. back of your mind. I hope True. that everything's fine in that regard. But if things went sideways there, as it did, I guess, four or five years ago now with the transplant um, at that stage of the game, then uh, then everything would be on the table. So, and again, mm-hmm. please don't, don't, uh, don't think of that as me wishing that on anybody. Right. Um, so anyway, it's a, it's an interesting bit of timing and, uh, and uh, interesting, that uh, and that's a reputable. That's the guy who runs the Professional Writers Hockey Association in the city of Vancouver, and Patrick Johnson. So this mm-hmm. isn't any small timer that just popped up out of nowhere, and that's that's quite a, a dramatic thing to say for Sense fans. And do you have the full piece in front of you? Because um, the other can... the other the other line that was nice was the the fact that Eugene Melnick is an NHL owner, but is nowhere near the level of money. Uh, he doesn't quite have the bank account that the rest of the guys in the league who own teams do. 
it's right. more of a it's more of a you know I, I own an NHL team uh, you know other other guys got so much more money so much more going on in their corporate lives and worlds that it's a, that it's a different situation and really that's part of the problem from day one is that we, we, oh internal budget okay fine you've got an internal budget every team has an internal budget but the internal budget here is is directly affected by the fact that the owner doesn't have a lot of money uh, sorry he has a lot of money but he doesn't have a lot a lot a lot of money right like he's not yeah. a multi multi millionaire or billionaire like some of these other owners so that 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 kind of affects obviously directly affects how this team is run yeah he's got enough money to run an nhl franchise uh, and yeah. i've talked i talked to someone i trust a lot i'll just say this he he's he's been privy to the books mm-hmm. and he knows exactly where things are at and he says you're worried about Melnick running out of money, it's probably time to stop because that's not an issue. But that said, you're absolutely right. Everything's relative. Mm-hmm. Um, he, this is his primary business interest at this stage of the game, as opposed to when he started, he had BioVail, he had uh, horse racing, he had uh, all kinds of different things on the go. This is his primary business right now, and he loves being an NHL owner. But I think is it a case of uh, right now it's uh, – it's not the New York Rangers. It's not the Detroit Red Wings where, or the Leafs where the, the money pit is just bottomless. <laughs> so everything is relative. So when I think when people say that he doesn't have money, that's it's all comparative. It's all relative. Yeah, and his primary business is losing money. Right. Right, and he's not young, and he's uh, there's got to be a level of frustration, and, and I'll say it again. He got a chunk of change, his his portion of the expansion fees from the two most recent teams. And I just, and I honestly believe, I, I, although I'm sure we're going to talk about it, LeBreton and a new arena, I don't know that, that Eugene's going to be involved in that in, in, in any way. And that would, a new arena would increase revenue. And I don't think that's going to happen for him with him involved. So that that's going to affect income and I, all those things together. It makes sense that, yeah, he could be shopping around right now, right now. And this was the news that broke this week. The, and the timing of this was interesting as well. I don't know that the NCC mm-hmm. came out with this on their own, or if uh, the senators had any hand in, in driving this, the timing again, teams going badly. People are getting upset, looking for changes. And this kind of news breaks this week of all weeks, kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, the director of the LeBreton Project with the NCC is a woman by the name of Katie Paris, and she told reporters on Wednesday the door is open. Uh, they're looking for bold and transformational ideas for LeBreton Flats, and the NCC is open to a possible arena for the Ottawa Senators. We understand that the Senators' owner has been vocal in the media about looking for another location for the arena, but if it's of interest of him, to him or to the Senators, then the door is open, but we also want to make sure we get going on the project. So we are looking for other ideas, and we want to make sure that we consider the whole range of ideas before moving forward. So there's been bad blood between Eugene Melnick and the city, between Eugene Melnick and the NCC, but Melnick, in a statement on Thursday, said, we are always open and interested in a new multi-purpose entertainment facility at LeBreton Flats and understand how it can benefit our fans and the Ottawa Senators Hockey Club generally. I think he, in his heart of hearts, Greg, would love to be downtown at LeBreton. 
but it's going to come down to, are you going to build me a rink for free? I think when you get down to it. <laughs> yeah. Good point. And it's not like, it's not like the States where you can get taxpayers to pay for the whole damn thing. Um, it's, it's cost, you know, it's a couple billion dollars, right? It's going to cost a hell of a lot of money. And I just, I don't see him having the, I mean, we're back to the point again. Yes. He's got lots of money, but does he have enough money that he can borrow money to build a rink? And no, he cannot do that alone. So it's going to require a partner. But it, it, we all know if anybody tries to build any rink anywhere other than LeBreton Flats, it's a serious mistake. Will it happen in our lifetime? Will the Ottawa <laughs> Senators be downtown at some stage? Because Melnick in the past has toyed with it. Um, he's had ownership partnerships with this new arena, John Ruddy and such. These things falling apart. There have been lawsuits. And he's even said, you know, it's like, ah, after all this fire excitement about being town just out of the blue, he's like, yeah, I'm pretty good down uh, in Canada. It's yeah. fine. I can, I can build a new rink out there without any problems, or I can renovate this one. We're good down here, which is playing poker. It's, uh, it's basically bluffing effectively and uh, trying to create leverage for yourself. But will we ever see the Ottawa Senators Arena downtown at LeBreton? I don't know if it's if it's just Ottawa or if it's everywhere, but I can remember the the beginnings of the light rail project, and I can remember the beginnings of fixing up of Lansdowne, and the two of them just one roadblock after another after another after the other. And I can remember saying it'd be a good bet somebody should put out a line on which one's actually going to get finished first, if at all. And eventually, both of them happened. We have we have light rail that works every once in a while, and we do have a <laughs> we do have a Lansdowne live their functioning. So yes, it will happen. I am 57 years old. So I'd like to think that it will happen in my lifetime. So that means it's going to happen in yours. Yes. My answer is yes. It's going to happen in our lifetime. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Let's take a time out. When we come back, we'll get to our sends player profile on Dylan Hetherington. Get to know Dilly Dilly a little more. Are you worried your vehicle might not make it through another winter? Then drop into Jim K. Ford, your Ottawa-certified pre-owned Ford dealer. They remove all the worries with a 12-month, 20,000-kilometer limited warranty coverage, vehicle history report, purchase financing rates from 1.99%, 24-hour roadside assistance, and more. Now, that's peace of mind. Check out jimkford.com, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. All right. Uh, by the way, can I pour you? little holiday festive Dunrobin Distillery's Canadian rye whiskey. Please yeah. do. I will have it right after my Slave Like Ice Dog Blonde Ale. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Well, that's yeah. not a competitor to Dunrobin Distillery, so no. we'll go ahead and leave that in there. It's all good. T today's player profile, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> today's player profile is on Dylan Hetherington. Dylan Hetherington is a big Western kid from Calgary, a 26-year-old defenseman, six foot four, 220 pounds. Played for Kamloops for four seasons in the Western Hockey League. He played for Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championship in 2015, winning a gold medal. That was the team that was captained by former Ottawa Senator Curtis Lazar. It was a second-round draft pick for Hetherington by the Columbus Blue Jackets. They would trade him shortly thereafter to the Dallas Stars, straight up for Lori Korpakoski after four years in the American Hockey League with the Texas Stars. Hetherington decided to give the KHL a try for one season. Then he came back this past offseason, signing a one-year deal as a free agent with the Ottawa Senators, and the rest, as they say, is history. Dylan Hetherington, our player profile. 
If you're looking for gift ideas this holiday season, check out the beautiful gift packages at Dunrobin Distilleries. Mix and match with the Pioneer gift boxes or go all in with the Explorer. It has everything, including Dunrobin's Earl Grey Gin, Artisanal Gin, Vodka and Whiskey, along with their world-renowned Glencairn Whiskey Glasses, imported from Scotland. I want one of these. Dunrobin also has nice little samplers, which make great stocking stuffers. And don't forget their virtual tastings to make your online holiday party complete. DunrobinDistilleries.com, available at the LCBO. Before we go, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw the name Logan Brown at you. Oh, God. But actually, I brought it up, right? <laughs> I was sitting on the couch yesterday watching uh, St. Louis, and I don't even remember who they were playing. Florida. I went to a shootout, St. Louis, Florida, and I couldn't quite hear it. And this guy's coming in in this shootout, and they said the name, and I said, who? Who's this? And the guy goes, it's Logan Brown. You should know him. And what a move. Holy smokes. But but then again, he was the epitome of laconic. Like, he looked like he didn't give a damn. It looked like it was the end of Pracky, and he was goofing around, and he went down and scored a beautiful goal. Earlier in the game, he scored a goal, too. That uh, <laughs> but Wow. Hey, did you see? Yeah. You, you did go watch it, eh? Because I, I texted you and said, hey, did you see that? Yeah. Uh, his hands were never in doubt. Uh, there's no doubt yeah. about that. I think he left the organization still as one of the most skilled passers on the entire hockey club. And it's it's unfortunate for him because certainly the Sens would have come calling this year with the injuries they've had at center. Yeah. They wouldn't have needed to bring Dylan Gambrell into the organization. Gambrell had a nice play, by the way, in that in that game mm. the other night on Saturday with uh, setting up Austin Watson. But uh, yeah, a, opportunity would have really knocked loudly for Logan Brown, I think. And uh, it's unfortunate for him, but you know, they're excited about him in St. Louis so far. I saw a few people on Twitter as I was kind of searching for everything, saying, oh, this Logan Brown kid, he can stay. <laughs> so we'll see if it all works out. And uh, I hope for him it does, and the Sens are happy so far. I think with Zach Sanford, uh, like everything else in hockey, when we're analyzing these things, you really won't know what uh, what the right thing is in this, in this process until five years from now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Let us call it quits right there. And uh, thank you very much for being with us. Don't forget our website is sensnationhockey.com. What do you got going for the afternoon? I'm going to watch a little NFL. Uh, I'm, I'm probably going to fall asleep on a couch with the NFL on. Yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's a nice thing. That's a very I, I, nice thing. You know thing. what? I might even watch some CFL today, Steve. Right. Uh, yeah, division final day. I completely forgot about the semis last week, so I'm going to get in <laughs> on that as well. All right, have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you in our next episode, which will be released on Thursday. And thanks for being with us. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SensNationHockey.com.